Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, things to come. In the year 1936, H.G. Wells made a list. Penises, vaginas, clitoris, asshole, things to come. Don't, don't. <laughs> Not all of those things do that, man. Yeah, they do. Wait, wait. Give me the list again. I need the Penis. list. Penis. Right. Vagina. Right. Clitoris. Right. Asshole. Really? Yeah. Okay. Not for everyone, but yeah. Okay. I think nipples for some people, too. Oh, okay. There we go. <laughs> I, I think you got it wrong, though, because the credit at the beginning of the movie said, thinks to come. I didn't spot that. I think that's just in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just a poorly formed G spot. Yeah, and I think the letters were over each other a little bit. Yeah, that might be it. I, I, I said it was a hella credit, but it said thinks to come. That's today's thinks to come, 1936, but taking place in so many time periods. Um, hi, this is Matt. This is, this is Luke, who just burped out his name. <laughs> I was thinking you could do it better than that. Well, that wasn't deliberate. I just es- had to burp. Especially in the sci-fi sanctuary of ours. This is, no, I can't. I, I mean, I'm saying it would have been, like, mildly impressive. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> is this the man show today? It kind of is the man show. This movie didn't have so many women. Just that one. That's, no, there were a couple, but they're just, they were all basically love interest of Yeah, yeah, men. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what I'm getting to. Um, so things to come. Of course, I've known about this movie for quite a while. It's one of those things I never watched because everyone was like, no, you're never watching the right edit of it. Right. Um, now, the one I just watched, and I think you just watched, um, was Criterion, so I'm assuming it should be reasonably legit. <laughs> I think when Criterion did Metropolis, it was pretty fully formed, right? Um, I feel like, I know it came out on DVD and I did not get it because it was supposed to just be a travesty fest. Huh. Of a, of a edit. That could have been the, that could have been a few years before they did Metropolis, though. Right. I think Metropolis was still in pretty poor shape at that point as well. So, huh. um, But anyway, yeah, this is actually the first time I've watched it, although I've been interested in watching it for 20-plus years. I was aware of, like, H.G. Wells' book, The Shape of Things to Come. I actually didn't know there was a film until you mentioned it. How, how about the song? Song? Yeah, there's a, there's, there's a Yardbirds, Shape of Things to Come. There's a... Oh, God, there's another one. Is, is, is it Ted and Amboy Dukes, is it? Journey, no, it's Journey and Send of Your Mind, I think. Anyway, there's like um, there's a few like late 60s psychedelic things to come songs okay. or shape of things to come. That actually, I when I was searching for this movie, I um, had a few missed searches because I was putting in like shape of things. Yeah, until I sat down <laughs> and watched the film, in my head it was shape of that we were watching. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, well that's that's more like music anyway, I guess. Mm. But uh, so there's some groovy psychedelic tracks. It looks like can... there's been a couple like remakes or redos of this as well. Yeah, although I saw I, I clicked on one was like 2016. It was some like um, you know like Victorian drama or something. So oh, okay. may, not maybe not that one. But I'm pretty sure it's been remade at some point, maybe mm. in the 70s. Which it looked cool like too. there was like 30s, 60s, and 2016. So the 2016, I don't believe is this. Yeah, though, it's not but, actually. But, but yeah, the 70s, I think there was one. Right. Uh, and Lost Horizon, uh, another one, which would. I mean, we should compare this to the 70s version, which I think has even less to do with the book than this. Right. And um, and Lost Horizon is fun because the 30s version is like a Frank Capra classic, and the 70s version is is a different kind of movie. Right. Okay. <laughs> Well, this one is allowed to not be like the book because the author of the book is writing it. So. And he's, he started to direct it as well. Yeah. But apparently he, he like, sucked at directing, so they, yeah. they brought in someone else. It's but, a different art. Uh, yeah, he was involved very much with this movie. This also, I think, basically being the first uh, British sci-fi film. Uh, it's probably close to it. Yeah. Well, there's some... Um, I've forgotten his name. There's the one with the ants. Doctor something or other. 
I'm not sure. I mean, I can't really start thinking <laughs> of British sci-fi till the 50s, right? Yeah. Other than this, but um, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't 100% is more, but this is the one, the first one people give a shit about. Let's <laughs> say that. <laughs> is the UK sci-fi enough? We got Doctor Who. Well, I, that was my first thought when I asked the question, of course. <laughs> but um, n not counting Doctor Who, answer the question. Um, answer the question. <laughs> I think we are. We've had a lot of writers. Well, I mean, like H.G. Wells invented sci-fi, and he's yes, British. Yes, 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 yes. But I don't feel like apart, apart from Doctor Who, not much sci-fi is coming out of the UK these days. Yeah, the not 50s, much of anything is coming out this year. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fifties and sixties was a big bump for UK sci-fi with a lot of. I guess cool the stuff. UK was more horror, right? Yeah, Hammer, yeah, Hammer, like yeah, 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 yeah. So which occasionally crosses over with sci-fi. As we will be well, since yeah, yeah, we we sometimes do sci-fi horror on this podcast too. So well, and. All of our actors star in all the American sci-fis. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, well, if you want someone to sound, you want someone to sound like they know what they're talking about. You got, you got to slap an accent on them. Well, but like there was one point where. Because come on, I'm I'm from the like the deep south, man. If we were doing sending our actors out, like, okay, so I think I got a way that y'all can fix it up so it's gonna work better. <laughs> I mean, that just doesn't. It's not convincing. But even when we don't use our accent, like there was a period where a Brit was playing Spider-Man, Batman, and Superman. Yeah, without the accent. <laughs> <a> good point. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's it, it, honestly I don't. I've read H.G. Wells, but I don't think I've read things to come. Me too. I've got the like a big H.G. Wells collection on my Kindle, so I was planning to read it before this. Then I forgot to do that. So I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't actually know how little or not little like the book this is. I'd always thought that Things to Come was the one with essentially nuclear bombs in it. Well, that's not a thing in this film. So well, maybe that's from the book, or the maybe it's from one of his other books. The destruction shown in the movie is certainly along those lines. Mm, he predicted the concept of total war. Yeah. But I thought there was one where he literally has nuclear bombs. Because I just thought it was interesting... Um, in this one, that, you know, it's what it was a 30-year, 20-year war, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then broke down into other smaller wars. Yeah. There's a bug. Hello, Mr. Bug. Bye-bye, Mr. Bug. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, one, I'm, you, you never drop a bomb on anyone, okay? We live in Japan, too. Come on. Yeah. But the argument was always like, oh, by doing this, we, we um, ended World War II earlier, which is a fallacy anyway. Uh, no, Stalin, by doing but, it, they scared the Russians, right? Yeah. the actual reason. Yeah, but this movie would almost like support that particular argument just by showing us what you know the actual results of a 20-year war because if world war ii had gone on until the late 60s i guess that's pretty much what would have happened well, this is what happened in germany and japan yeah it's and just the fact that we air quotations won <laughs> that this didn't happen everywhere but <laughs> even after we were winning we just kept leveling cities in germany out of spite yeah. so I guess the point is the level of predictive programming in this, uh, or predictive foresight, if you want to say it that way, is pretty wild. I think I think H.G. Wells just knew his shit. Yeah, I mean, because I think I've heard that he, the only ones of his predictions that he really lived to see were all the terrible ones. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, so, no, no. He of lived through some of World War Two and got to see like all the awful things he predicted. None of the crotchite future togas. Yeah, or like landing on the moon and shit. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a kind of a funny one here, how, like, even 2036, that's still like, and one day we can land on the moon, which... I'm having some fun here because I actually pushed my straw inside my milk box. Savas milk protein, that's the one that makes you more, more swole, is it? Yeah, in theory. Okay. But I've had to rip a hole in the side to drink it. <laughs> They've been drinking the strawberry one around my house, but I think that's the one to make you smaller, I don't know. It has the same logo, I recognize it. Um, I mean, protein's protein, right? Yeah. That's my theory. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, not quite knowing the difference between the, um, the movie and the book versions, shall we get your rundown of the movie version? Yeah. It's the year 1940, and in every town, UK, it's Christmas. Though the newspapers warn of war in Europe, people are too smart to listen to the mainstream media. Then the war breaks out. Terrible war. Tanks, airplanes, poison gas. Over the decades, cities are ruined. People are destitute. A zombie-like wandering plague hits the populace. 
By the 70s, the old world is gone, and city-states are ruled by warlords. In every town, a chief everyone calls the boss rules things. He wants his engineers to get his airplanes flying, but people think such things are all gone. Then one day, an airplane appears overhead. Landing, the occupant reveals himself as a member of a new world order of scientists and engineers, looking to rebuild society. He is briefly imprisoned, but his people arrive and free him, killing the boss in the process. A new world is born. A utopian society emerges, all capes and togas and peace. Progress marches on, some people more pleased about it than others. The leaders are planning a moon mission, though a Luddite contingent aren't big fans of the idea. The mission is a success, though. A man can rest, but mankind must keep moving forward. Guided by night's vision, a vision of something great, has me crossed the desert to where the unknown waits. Frying pan of Turpan's fire, passage through the iron gate. Anyway, I just tried to get you re into the mood by playing you some like death, industrial death metal. <laughs> so Matt, are you a globalist cuck who's down with the New World Order? <laughs> a New World Order! <laughs> Ministry, right? Okay. Um, Every Town USA, that seems like a really American name. It was UK though. Sorry, I even added USA, we added didn't USA, I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just Every Town USA. Also, I'm just, I'm, anytime we've gone back to the 30s, it has been an American film. Yeah. Well, and because they're all doing that 1930s film voice, they all sound American anyway. So. Right, right. <laughs> but um, yeah, I just thought that was kind of a weird one for a... Uh, for a UK town. Yeah, that wasn't very UK. What would, what would be a good generic name for a UK town? Oh, I don't know, like Puddle on the Way or something. <laughs> <laughs> they all have real dumb names. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, 30s actors in this movie, they're perfectly serviceable. I, I, I guess I sometimes had trouble connecting like which actor is playing which roles since they play multiple roles. Yeah, well, you notice in my... Um, synopsis i didn't really mention character names right because it this isn't a film about characters right this isn't a human piece i did notice that the the pe the the guys in the wrong mm. made like fantastic speeches like the boss in 1970 and that yeah, and that yeah. dude that wants to podcast on giant screens in the future they're good speech makers man they're they're convincing i mean their point's not necessarily right but they were those were the well-spoken folks in this movie which i thought was interesting well because I, I mean it, it was kind of like the whole film was about a clash between, like, populist rhetoric guys and actual engineer expert guys who know what they're on about, right? <laughs> so that's the real smart prediction that H.G. Wells made, because that is the clash of, like, the past 50 years. Do you listen to guys who know what they're on about or guys who are good at expressing themselves? So it's rarely the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have some more to say about that. Of course, I mean, you know, we're showing a film where obviously the film wants to show a certain light and we're going to follow along in that light. Yeah. Uh, Buck Rogers is a pretty apocalyptic future when you think about it, but it looks awful cool. Right. Especially if you're in the 70s. I mean, the 30 one, the 1930s one looks cool too, but it's like, it's you know. Flash Gordon, it's just Flash Gordon. Yeah, a little more. <laughs> but it's in the distant future and the yeah. Earth is like a crap hole as it is in the middle of this movie. Mm. So... Um, yeah, actors, characters, I mean, I guess there's not a whole lot to say here. But yeah, the only one who I, like, really remembered was the boss and his wife. Right, like I said, the boss, I mean... Yeah, and also his wife was, like, that perfect, like, you know, the woman on the shoulder of the bad guy that you'd see in quite a modern film. Yeah, back to Buck Rogers, it's like, um, not Ming the Merciless, um, Killer Kane's lady, who in the 70s version has a more prominent role, but right. kind of kind of that vibe, you know, the, the Catwoman. Although she although she is relatively level-headed here, isn't she? Well, yeah, she's, I mean, like, he, she's the actual brains behind the operation, is yeah, the impression I got. Yeah, and she's actually, like, balancing, like, okay, let's see what's happening here before we just go nuts, yep. which is usually a, a good course of action. The point being, that's a pretty smart person living in this, like, weird, quasi-Mad Max medieval town. Yeah. <laughs> and then, I guess the... Um, not so much because the actor or the character was interesting, but just his outfit. When the pilot first showed up, he was pretty memorable. Oh, in the middle, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, um, yeah, his it was helmet like was... big-ass helmet. And shit. That helmet was insane. Yeah, I know, I loved it. <laughs> it's like his helmet, it's the cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was going to save that for design, but I can say that twice. His helmet was insane. Yeah. So... <laughs> well, we've got an even more insane helmet to talk about later. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I guess we're pretty much finished with the characters already, so why don't we get into the... I mean, the, the, the character in this film is just humanity. Progress. Yeah, it's yeah. the whole human race. Right? right, so... But that's... 
I mean, how much H.G. Wells have you read? Uh, Invisible, the Invisible Man, which is different than Invisible Man. Uh, the Time Machine. I think I've read more of Jules Verne, to be perfectly honest. I've, I've definitely read Invisible Man, Time Machine, and War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds I've read many times, my favorite book. I think I might have not read that when I got to, but... But um, his, like... His stories and his ideas are always great. And even his character, like, concepts are really good. But he doesn't really get into people that much. True. Like, yeah. oh, he <clears throat> very rarely even names his protagonists. <laughs> it's always just, like, the writer, <laughs> the time traveler, yeah. shit like that. Why do, why do I slightly prefer Jules Verne? I think his stuff is a bit more whimsical and fantastical. Yeah. I guess you can read it. Like, I guess also, H his stuff is all character. Yeah. Like Nemo and shit. Right. H.G. Wells is kind of like, I guess, straight lines and right angles, where, um, you know, Jules Verne's more like steampunk and Rococo. Maybe yeah. that's it. Well, also, H.G. Wells is much more atmosphere. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, like, you know. The reason I love War of the Worlds is just like this constant foreboding sense of dread. H.G. Wells was definitely more of a man pushing an agenda. Is it a good one? Is it a bad one? That's eh, up for debate. I mean, but he had an agenda and he was pushing it. And yeah. this movie is part of that. So. For the most part, I don't, I think I generally agree with Wells' stuff. But mm -mm -mm. every now and then it's hard to tell what he's satirizing and what he believes. So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, but yeah, I guess... And also, he's just a guy writing 130 years ago, so... But this film being so prescient in so many ways, I mean, of course it gets everything wrong, but in many ways it gets everything right at the same yeah. time, so... <laughs> um, you, you know, I guess he could smell the beats coming, even if he didn't know, like, the, the plot of the actual future, which, of course, he wouldn't, so... Well, it's interesting. Here's a question which I love to ask Americans. What year did World War II start? 39? Okay. That's the one we're taught in Europe. I know a lot of Americans don't even count it until Pearl Harbor. No, I... I but it started in 33. I, oh, right, with the... the invasion the, the, of China. Yeah, yeah, that way. I, I am thinking European there, so... Oh, um, exactly, but right, it's the World War. And right. they all culminated in one conflict that ended in 45. True, so. true. But don't we need that conflict on the other side of the world to start before it's a world war? Right, but the same war no, started... I, I, right, exactly, that's the thing, right? Yeah. How, did the, did the World War start or end, or is it just constantly happening? No, a lot of Americans, <laughs> of course, would say 41, but, I, I, you know, there was, like, a Time magazine when I was a kid. Like, it was, like, 1989. It was, like, you know, 50 years since the war starts. That burned in my brain. Oh, right, it was, like, Invasion of Poland, 1939. So Yeah, that's 100% So what we I would say if I, if I hadn't seen that Time magazine or whatever it was cover, I probably would say 41 is American. See, because I... It was when I was reading my book, one of my books about Japanese history, and they mentioned, like... Oh, people say the war started in 41, but actually, like, do they? <laughs> I've never heard any year other than 39. <laughs> yeah, and the thing is, the Americans didn't even really get into the war until it was, like, halfway through 1942. Yeah. You know, nothing really happened for several months there. <laughs> right, but um, the reason I bring it up is because when H.G. Wells was making this film, the cogs were already in motion. The war had started. No, I mean, you could already tell things were going down. Yeah. If you're, well, I mean, I had... Yeah, yeah, had, yeah. had um, had Chamberlain already already proclaimed peace, peace in our, in our time, time at this I, point? I think Hitler was only elected in thirty three. Yeah, I think so this is thirty. I keep thinking this film is thirty three because we're also doing King Kong. Yeah, <laughs> no, thirty six. Yeah, thirty six. It's well underway. Yeah, I, I think mean, like the like, night of long knives and shit has already happened. So. But there were people fully, you know, fooling themselves too. Again, peace in our time, right? So oh, the Great War, the War to End All Wars. <laughs> <laughs> Got to have a sequel to that. Yep. <laughs> um, <sighs> Yeah. Well, I, I, it's like the end of World War One. It's like, oh, war's terrible. Let's never do that again. The end of World War Two. It's like, oh, that was good for the economy. Let's never stop doing this. <laughs> just keep on the down low a little more. So you just know, brown countries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just make sure that uh, the people buying our soap don't notice. Yep. <laughs> <sighs> oh God, we shouldn't talk about where some of that soap came from. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's. It's definitely prescient. I mean, that's the thing with H.G. Wells. Um, you know, he, he was keyed into some notable minds of the time as well, you know. Yeah. Some of this he might have actually kind of been fed like, hey, this is going down, you know. And well, the, the papers they're looking at in this film, the papers he was looking at were probably not far off. Right. <laughs> like, you know, Europe is arming, it's coming, sort of shit. <laughs> that was clear. So, yeah, um... What's, one thing that is interesting, because he's making this in 36, World War II is on the brink. He never really gets into who the sides are or what they're fighting about. Well, they've forgotten by the 60s, haven't but they? Even at the start, right? <laughs> it's not like he's saying, oh, 
Hitler's doing this, Germany's doing this, you know, the Nazis, this ideology, that. It's just like, yeah, Europe wants to fight another war. Yeah. <laughs> Which probably is the truest read of that whole situation. I felt they made it relatively clear that the Germans were on the way. But you're right, they didn't say it directly, did they? Yeah, so. they just said Europe is arming, right? Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. And if, if you're watching it in 36, it's 100% clear. No, you get it. It's like but. a Marvel movie now it doesn't have to, like, necessarily tell you those beats for you to get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, Just, he's in a desert and there's armored trucks. You know what's going on. We're not going to say any names. <laughs> <laughs> Mandates shut the gate. Her breath, it's a blast. A backdraft to burn down my final day of living each day as if my last on passions ebb and flow. Yeah, we get a little. Let's get a little deeper. Now we're directly getting into the Zionist movie, which is the real star. Um, the idea, at least H.G. Wells' idea, I, I guess maybe I don't know if he didn't like Metropolis or he just didn't want it to be like it. But his original edict was make this as unlike Metropolis as possible, huh. which didn't entirely work out, especially when you see them building the city of the future and it. That montage looks just like Metropolis. <laughs> right, but it did feel like a very different flavor to Metropolis. Oh, it's definitely a different flavor. So they uh, they achieve that, but it's interesting. There's just it's like there's some points where there's just no way around it, you know. Well, yeah, if you want to show big machinery <laughs> with 30s effect, it's what you're gonna do, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Remind no, me what year Metropolis was? 27. It okay, was so like released. Nine years. Although they'd worked on Metropolis for several years yeah, by yeah, of that course. point. I wonder how long they worked on this. It was a TV production, right? They they, they said ITV at the start. No, that had to be... Maybe that that was this broadcast. I was about to say it's 1936, man. Oh, yeah. I I think we had ITV in 1936. Right. I think maybe BBC One. Yeah, there was like a few experimental broadcasts, but yeah, I don't think... They would not have been making this for TV at that time. Yeah, that was insane thought on my part. (laughs) That was kind of like, what? Yeah. Uh, This look fucking incredible yeah I mean you could argue like Big Helmet's a little wild um, you know those togas are I mean that's, a, that's weird, a choice but, but it's a, it looks cool and memorable yeah 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 but like when you're seeing like the cityscapes and the battle scenes which I'm sure used I, they look like they used some like stock tank footage mm. but they also had some like effects well, future that tanks trippy stuff. future tank rolling yeah, yeah, around yeah. I like that Protodalic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, something I the the, the 30, 2036 stuff was cool, right? Yeah. And I, I assume that was going to be the highlight of the movie, right? But I definitely found myself really keying into that 1970 or just before or just after period. The Mad Max shit. Yeah, because this movie, even more than Mad Max, just had such a weird, like, cobbled together with a cobbler, <laughs> cobbled together, um, you know, like, 1936 tech with like medieval stuff mixed with like a few possibly future things all broken down and like jammed together and I thought that was cool like even Mad Max never quite got that quality it looked like they tried to do the same thing using like all things from the early 80s you know right whereas this one really had like some of the stuff's real oh, old like, yeah, when some it's quite they're, new they're dragging a car with a horse and shit like that yeah yeah it, I what kind of money was this made on do you know um, I think it was made on reasonable money, but not like crazy money. Yeah, because I would have assumed it didn't have a huge budget. It's like a British well, yeah, experimental yeah. I mean, thing, right? But it looks really good. Well, in the 30s, nothing had a big budget. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, interestingly, we don't think about now, but movies like Intolerance, mm. just, um, where they basically rebuilt Babylon, you know, <laughs> the, and uh, the original Ten Commandments, just by 30 it's like uh no <laughs> keep it keep it keep it in check the 50s got back to blowing wads of money of course but uh i, th- I feel like the 30s and 40s they i mean there's lots of good movies because right. well they didn't have the budget for people to watch crap i guess well yeah you get you know the digimons instead of your pokemons yeah <laughs> so the, the, was that a reference that you got <laughs> no it was halfway thinking about it they, um, basically, Pokemon had a lot more money, so they didn't bother to write scripts. Oh, okay, there we go. one <laughs> couldn't have lots of effects, so it had actual characters. Yeah, I was still trying to work it out, and I wasn't going to arrive on that note. <laughs> I, so. I thought, like, Matt's just going to gloss this over, isn't he? <laughs> he did, yes. I was thinking about Casablanca. Because that's a... Casa- yeah, yeah, well, yeah. It's a, it has a plot and characters instead of right. showing you any, like, war and stuff. Well, the fun thing about that movie is it, it was not a big production it was just a pot boiler yeah. and just everything like fired i mean it didn't have like a big budget just everything worked yeah like everyone did their job the right way 
This those, one, those are often like the best films. I know. Like this one didn't fire on all of those cylinders. It's definitely a little clunky and well, hackneyed. This, but well, I said about um, when worlds collide, it kind of felt more like a documentary. Mm. This had that feeling. It's just the interesting stuff was happening. It was a better documentary, <laughs> <Yeah>. yes. <laughs> no, this one does keep your interest the whole time, even if the moves are a touch weird sometimes. Yeah, but they're just constantly moving. Yeah. <laughs> it's like banging through the decades. How can you get bored? I, I thought about Cloud Atlas a few times watching it, uh, which I guess you haven't seen yet, but it's showing different lives, you know? Right. Kind of like this, where same actors show up in these different time periods. Playing their grandparents or whatever. Of yeah. course, it took that movie like three and a half hours to, to do it, so this one only had an hour and a half. And shorter <laughs> if you find the wrong print, apparently. Right. <laughs> but yeah, the... I think this is one of those... I think one of the problems with The Prince is this is one of those movies where they straight up, like when Worlds Collide, just straight up ran out of money at some point. Right. And maybe that's where that documentary feel comes from. You can't you can't really fill in the gaps because you've already blown your budget. Yeah. So but it, it didn't. There was like one or two moments where it had to explain something with text on screen. Mm. But even then, it was kind of explaining stuff that I'd figured out anyway. Yeah, and it was it was glossing over like thirty years, so we don't. You know, obviously, we're going to stop in these like four different time periods. You yeah. Know? So <laughs> you don't really need to do much in the between. Four. So there's the start of the war. Yeah, sixty six with the. With the waking sickness. Oh, God, yeah, I forgot. The which walking I just sickness. brought up, but yeah, yeah. No, 66 and 70 are quite close to each other, yeah. so I'm, I can see where you might think it's but Yeah, one, because but it's like the reason the boss is in power is because he... Brought order ...was the to guy that. who thought, just fucking shoot them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even which, though... I hope that's not a prediction that's about to come yeah. true. <laughs> Although it's almost the same period. <laughs> yeah, the, with the, their own little pandemic and with this one, it's quite different. Mm. Uh, definitely a zombie vibe as they start wandering yeah, around. like, this must be pretty early in the list of zombie. Well, by this point... Especially viral zombies. Yeah. Yeah, I always... Mm. I usually give Romero credit for the first zombies. Um, but yeah, but, but pre-Romero, when you say zombie... You I think, think of like, Haitian voodoo. Yeah, brought to life by voodoo. <laughs> Whereas this is just like a virus that makes people wander around and give other people the virus. Unless we just missed its voodoo beginnings. Well, yeah, maybe. That's one of the scenes that was cut. <laughs> It was going to get right into all the Hitler occult shit. We need to fly to Haiti and film the voodoo scene. Sorry, we're out of money, dude. Ah, oh, crap. Okay. How about the Iraq scenes? No, we're not doing those either. Sorry. Oh, oh what was it? Um, I'll make sure I get the right city. I, I did one. I think one it was Basra? Th Basra, yeah. There's the hope of the future. They got that wrong. I mean, maybe it is. It's hey, it could, we, we got fucking bombed the shit out of it. We got so. 16 years, so. <laughs> but no, no, it was, it was actually the 1970 period when yeah, Basra no, no. was the. Was, it's interesting, the. Um, like. The cradle of civilization is that part of the world. Well, and also during the so-called Dark Ages or Middle Ages or whatever, it's, you know, that's knowledge that's was... Mathematics and telescopes. Yes, and, knowledge was held and driven further in that area, right? Yeah. So, Although the whole concept of Dark Ages is total fabrication. Of course. Hey, if you want to get really <laughs> weird, we could talk about how it's all a fabrication anyway, and history repeats itself. There's a Russian... Um, Mathematician that's like, man, half of history is just made up and like kind of cut and pasted in. Oh, that's 100% true. Yeah. You look at things like King Arthur, right? Well, right. Well, he gets to the point where it's like Jesus was like 1132. Huh. He, no, his, his idea is that whole part of, he wrote like seven books on this. Okay. <laughs> and uh, his whole point, and he has graphs where he lines up kings and like the dates almost match for like all the events. Right. It's like, like 900 years of history was like straight up patched in. Huh. Now, I'm not saying I buy that. I'm just saying it's interesting. Uh, yeah. yeah. Flamenco, maybe is the dude's name. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd go that far. No, I would neither. But it's to, fun to think about. The, the thing about history is you always have to think about where am I getting this information. Yeah, but I, I, I guess totally forgot what point we were. All right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming H.G. Wells was aware of the historical importance of like Iraq and Iran, well, and that would be why he made that his. Yeah. Center. Well, I'm thinking the past 30 years, no one would be like, oh, that's a shithole now. But, you know, maybe in the 30s, you still might think like, oh, if civilization goes, maybe that will hold the knowledge again oh, yeah, in and that it was area. Still just like the exotic East at that point, right? That's one thing that really does not make an appearance in this movie. I mean, there's nothing about religion anywhere in it, is there? Except for Christmas. Yeah, well, yeah, they literally <laughs> start talking about the Son of Christ and stuff, so king of israel in the christmas bits. in the christmas part but i'm yeah. just saying like after that, was not religious no he wasn't i'm just like noting that, that even the couple of lines about god in war of the worlds were shoehorned in yeah in later editions because they made him right <laughs> so after the 1940 christmas religion never makes another well, appearance you make an interesting point about that because it kind of does 
Science? Yeah. No, no, science is a religion here. Like, um, I have that in my notes somewhere. That's I, why I mentioned it, right. No, I'm talking about, uh, you know, little baby white Jesus, as, as uh, <laughs> Will Ferrell says in Talladega Nights. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, after that, yeah, yeah, science is now pushed as a religion. It's fully dogmatic, yeah, which, you know, we know at least one guy who's very much a member of that religion. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, here's what I was trying to... Uh, I was about to bring it up earlier, but I thought we'd wait a little bit on it. So this movie gives us the viewpoint of this, like, basically falling back into medieval town. Right. And, uh, you know, the scientists from, from the med, like, save them. Mm. What if it's a different town where these people actually have found a nice, balanced way of life with more natural technology, and these dudes land there? What's going to happen? Oh. We don't see much of what they do other than getting rid of the boss, which was probably a good thing. Right, that was a good thing, but... But the next thing we know, they have built their new megacity in that spot, right? And their new megacity, of course, to 1936 looks fantastic, but to me, I'm like, they're all, like, hiding underground in, like, this hermetically sealed world. That's kind of horrible. I mean, yeah. they're basically living in Logan's Run, except they don't have carousel. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the loads of people do go up pop later. It doesn't seem like they have to break out no, no no i mean it's, I, it's not it's just like hey we're all going to move underground now and stay out of the sunlight and live in like you know processed air that doesn't seem like i mean I you mean, and i report like, fuck my bald head yesterday so kind of i get it but. right right but hey we we are recording our sci-fi sanctuary today on a temple step with the wind uh flying through sorry about that and <laughs> the, and the sun peeking uh through the through the trees right so in every town of the future, this would not be legit, maybe. Or or, or at least be a rarity. We'd be spending 90% of our time, like, underground. Yeah, it definitely felt like they went too far in the direction of, like, science is the future, get rid of your nature. But that that, but, that is H.G. Wells' agenda. Is that hmm. good? Is that bad? I'm not quite sure. But H.G. Wells is one of the early... I mean, he's like the early... Like, Neil deGrasse Tyson or Carl Sagan have kind of done those roles now, right? But then, like, in the time machine, the most utopian part is, like, are they the Elohai? That's not utopian. That's, a, that's but, a It dystopia. turns out they're being eaten by Morlock, so it's a dystopia. But okay. <laughs> if you ignore that part, they're super happy just living in the nature, eating fruit, playing in the rivers. Yeah. Like, I think he does, he does think that is what happiness looks like. So... So I don't. I, I think he's saying that this is how the future will go. Mm. I don't know if he's saying it's how the future should go. So twenty thirty six, we're basically looking at a smart city, and by twenty thirty six, you may be persuaded to go live in a smart city. Do you want to live in a smart city? Particularly, yeah. I, I, I don't even trust my smartphone most of the time. Yeah, so. I mean, I don't want people keeping track of every motion and how I spend my money and all that, and you know, maybe I have to like file a few forms to go out and nature and sit down here you know so yeah. i don't infect everyone else when i come back well, from from the weird natural crap in this case i was gonna say that sounds like something they're trying to introduce in some of the countries at the moment well that's my point track you with an app and shit that's but, yeah. my point that's my point that um we are actually looking at possibly have a lot of people living in these smart cities which could be a little bit like every town 2036 well see me and matt have made the smart choice of we're living in a country where most people just do what they're told and don't need any of that shit so we can get away with not doing what we're told. <laughs> I'd say that, you know, Japan has an, in, like, it's really coming out now. We, all, we always giggle about the Oji-san, you know, the obnoxious Oji-san. Yeah. The, that's the old man, if you don't know the Japanese, that do whatever they want, which was always a joke. But now it's interesting that they're kind of pushing, that's where the pushback is coming in Japan. Mm. It's got all these old people, you know, like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. And, and, uh, and Japan is... Responsible people, you know, just COVID time. People are responsible in that way, but to the level of, you know, kowtowing that they've done in America recently, Japan actually seems a little more rebellious, which is interesting. Well, the thing is that J people will do the minimum without being told. Yeah, I guess that's it. Um, so they're just not used to being told one, to do anymore. You know, I, I always hear Americans being like, "This is why we can't have nice things," you know, because of this or that. I'm like, well, in Japan, we get to have nice things because you know we don't screw around as I was with. I was talking to someone about that yesterday. I walk around Japanese cities and there's just like statues and stuff. Like, wow, none of these have a dick drawn on them, or a cone on their head, or a can of beer in their hands. We can change that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Yeah, they kind of lowball space in this one. They um, they go to space the same way the Martians came to Earth in World of Worlds. Space gun? Yeah. In the book, they're launched Phallic by space, space gun. gun. Uh, we don't really see it in World of Worlds. With a drip at the tip. With a drip at the tip, a shiny metal drip. Yeah, it's... The shape of things to come is the shape of a dick. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, basically. That's a penis. It is cool, but it's also awful phallic. Like, well, it's got like the base that kind of is like the balls. Like you say, it's got the little yeah. No a rocket. A rocket does not hold a candle or a, or a dildo to a space gun. <laughs> I how? So rockets didn't really become a thing until during the Second World War, right? With the V2s and stuff. Well, I mean, there were some... People were aware that rockets were yeah. a thing, but... Oh, God, what's his... It's Buggy Man. I can't remember the dude's name. Uh, not, not Hubbard. That's different. <laughs> Who's the dude that was... The American dude that was... a uh, Hubble? October Sky is the movie about him. I don't know. Level... Uh, yeah, crap. Sorry, dude, who's been dead for a while. But anyway, I think he was doing a lot of more early rocketry. Maybe right. even in the teens, but... Yeah, um, I think it's... Because the idea of a rocket being powerful enough to take you to space was from the German scientists, right? Yeah. Um, they, they use space gun in, um, in the first sci-fi, right? Homer Hickam? That's, yeah. That doesn't seem... That is October Sky, actually. Yeah. Lovell's on Apollo. Wow. Okay, I'm just losing every name. Anyway. Because oh, yeah, he... No, yeah, the guy in October Sky copies Sputnik, so he definitely didn't invent rockets. Oh, that's the 50s. No, I'm thinking yeah. earlier in that, so... Robert Hutchings Goddard. Goddard! Goddamn! Okay, Robert got Hutchings it. is what threw you off, because you're going Hubbard. Yeah. But Hutchings and Goddard kind of makes Hubbard, so I can see where you're going there. Yeah. But um, the Melee's... Mele How do you say his name, anyway, the French director? You know, I think they had a space gun in his, his silent sci-fi. Hmm. Um, and then even is, um, is it from the Earth to the Moon, which is Jules Verne? I think that's a space gun. It's like an anti-gravity pod. Yeah, but it has a gun yeah. in it too. Um, but yeah, even in when worlds collide, it had to have like a train track. Yeah, it's definitely it not a just rocket. Rock it off, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Flash Gordon has rockets. True. <laughs> and that is like the thirties, right? Yeah. Of course, they have more of the rocket ship. It's going sideways. Yeah, rocket, yeah. Do you ever so. really see them like take off from? They take, they take off, off like, like a plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they they have a rocket thing going on. It's just like facing the wrong direction. Yeah, it wasn't until we actually started doing it that people realized, oh, the way you get into space is just exploding a lot of shit underneath yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Which seems like a really bad idea when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, we need that anti-grav tech. Ah, they, they, the, the black budget folks have it already. Yeah. That's yeah, what the yeah. UFOs are. There's no aliens. They're just military dudes flying around your heads and doing butt probes on you. Well, see, I've always thought, right, Oh, hello, Mr. Dragonfly. That's pretty dope. Come landed on my bag. You've always thought about that, Mr. Yeah, Dragonfly? Yeah, I love dragonflies. Yeah. Um, no. So, if you, like, wrap some wire around something, whatever, you can make an electromagnetism, right? Mm-hmm. So, is there, like, a pattern you can make to make electrogravity? There are people that claim that, but... Um... Yeah, I, I've, I've got about as much research as, like, a... 4chan mother who thinks that she understands but <laughs> <laughs> I mean we got and I know in the real World War II we got the Foo Fighters right yeah 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 yeah. which some people are like oh those are like you know weird Nazi anti-grav tech or something no they were like Will-o'-the-wisps or that Ghosts. yeah aliens <laughs> it's aliens that's what they are <laughs> See, I prefer it if it's aliens too. it's just you know what about like fucking CIA interdimensional again. aliens they're not from space they're from the space between spaces exactly no <laughs> oh, there's my notes. For? I wondered if my notes had like flown off into the wind, but I'm sitting on them. Like, they're my yoga mat. Up your now. ass. Yeah. Art Deco will never die. This is a. There's where the design works. Um, it's, it's just a solidly groovy Art Deco film. Well, it's um. I guess the it's design Art all works really well, right? Yeah. It's just when you get to the future stuff, because H.D. Wells doesn't really give a shit about the human element. <laughs> You just, you don't see what they do with their lives. Mm. So we're it's like, oh, Apparently, well, they all seem happy and they're in togas, but they just sit around in white rooms all day. And watch j podcasts on giant video screens. Yeah, or just watch educational films about the 30s. <laughs> so is that dude like the modern day Rush Limbaugh or Alex Jones? Is that who That was, was totally the modern day, the futuristic <laughs> Alex Jones. Yeah. Oh, see, I'm talking about the future of things that come as modern day now, because it's like only 2036. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, the modern day stuff's the stuff at the end. <laughs> yeah, and 
he's not that wrong with how he depicts that future, right? Right. But, you know, you've just got these loud-mouthed idiots who've decided they don't like science anymore and want to push us back a few decades. <laughs> but the whole point of science is to push back against science. If you're a true scientist, you are pushing yeah, back. Yeah, science should never be a dogma, right? It's questioning mm. everything. Right. And that, that's method. a that's a you know difficult little waltz to walk, you know, because right. our most that's the thing our most set in ideas. If suddenly there's something that proves it wrong, well, it's wrong, and a lot of scientists won't go with that. I think you're wrong. Scientists would. Mm. It's the laymen who think they're into science, the Rick and Morty fans. Okay, who now, won't. Let me paint. Let me paint the picture of we got a 60 year old scientist. He's like, I don't know. Let's put him at a Boston University is for fun. Um, you know, he's got tenure. He's been teaching this for 40 years. He can't, or she, he can't suddenly say like, oh, what I've been doing for the past 40 years is wrong. I mean, it's like an ego trip. His ego is getting in the way of science, right? Yeah, but at that... And I'm saying... Like but, a, but you're talking about like a lecturer. If he was the guy in the lab doing it, he'd fucking love to rewrite the rule book. Oh, of course. That's those are who I think of when I think scientists. But you have to the guys finding shit out. But the academics have to be convinced of that as well. Right. They have to change a textbook, and if you want to make a C change to a textbook, academia is not cool with you. Yeah. Um, I heard something. Uh, it was a, a site in northern Mexico. This is archaeology, where the uh, maybe the late. I don't remember exactly when, but. Um, uh, a scientist or an archaeological team went and they found these artifacts and they did it by the book, dating them. Mm. The date came out to 250,000 years. All of their careers ended. Mm. <laughs> they did everything the correct way. Right. Those were the results and they got kicked out of academia, basically. Mm. So, you know, I've heard in archaeology, like, again, archaeology, I guess, isn't quite a science. Uh, yeah, it's just a soft science. You know, uh, Egyptology as well. I mean, they're, you know, they're funded by the Egyptian government who has tourism. And if things suddenly change and they have to say we've been lying to you the whole time, that's not good for them. So they would prefer to keep that under wraps. Well, it, like everything, the problem is capitalism. <laughs> if, because you can't just be, wake up and be like, I want to do some science today. <laughs> Someone has to fund it. Right. And who's funding it? Someone with an agenda. Yeah. They, so, want, they want you to find something. So I guess I'm... As far as a scientist in a lab, you know, that's cool. They're doing science. I'm, I guess I'm thinking about the lecture. The, but the lecture yeah, the is the one that... The system around them, right? The, right. The system often does... That person is taking science as their dogma and as their yeah. religion. They're not right. in a lab. Uh, they're like, no, I don't like those results. They don't, con they don't fit my... What I've been doing for the past 40 years in this classroom, I can't accept that. You yeah, know? well, when, like, when someone funds an archaeological dig, it's like... We want you to legitimize some claim that we've got to power, right? I mean, I brought up to Egypt because a few years ago they found, basically um, they used some kind of, you know, like penetrating radar thing, right? And they found like a chamber in there that mm. was not known about before. And the uh, Egyptian government and Egyptological response was like, no, we don't need to look into that. Mm. You found a new chamber in the Great Pyramid? We're not going to check it out? No, no, we're not. Cursed. Uh, maybe it's cursed and that's why we didn't go. And that's good thinking. That's forward thinking. Okay. Come on, Matt. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I mean, someone that is actually doing science, that's the thing when you, if you actually have taken science as like, this is the thing I do, like it does define you. Now you can accept that maybe something's wrong and we change it. If you've taken science as this is the subject that is my religion. Right. Now you've blinded yourself. You know, and I'm sure there's lectures that are like, whoa, that's crazy. That's amazing. Let's do it. But there's just so much red tape and so many people, you know, again, if you're about to retire, it's like, no, we're, we're not going to change everything two years before I retire, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Kylo Ren said it best. Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, we were talking about Japan and the, uh, yeah, just let all the olds die. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's 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 been what it's been nine or ten months since Rise of Skywalker now, and that 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 was the problem. They forgot to let the past die, like they did in Last Jedi. Yeah, I I almost want to do another Rise of Skywalker podcast one day. <laughs> we recorded it right out of the theater, and I was still trying to convince myself that maybe it was okay. I would go on the record and say I fucking hate that film. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't given it a second viewing. Yet. I don't think I want to, but I, I just I hate it on principle. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe I'll find a fun guest for that one. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I would not be averse to that. So Yeah. Um, um, so we've had two guests on from Star Calls, the Star Wars podcast, and they came down on polar opposite sides. Dave really liked it. James was not a fan. I'm still... I, I do need to watch it again. I 
I have to watch again. And, and yeah, I hate where, what happened and where it went. I just need to watch again to make sure it wasn't like a rollicking adventure that I can enjoy. It was a. It had a bit of the um, Crystal Skull problem, I think, mm. of just bouncing to too many things with too much CG. That you might can't be invest it. in what's happening. I guess yeah. I'll, there's still part of me that wants to like it, but I have a. Maybe that's why I haven't watched it again. I'm like I. I don't quite hate it, and I think if I watch it again, I probably will. Yeah. <laughs> if I was, like, a big Kylo and Ray fan, I think I'd enjoy it. <laughs> I, I am, I'm a fan of them, so maybe that's where I no, enjoy it. No, I'm not a fan bit. of them as a couple. Oh, not as a couple. Excuse <laughs> oh, you mean as a shipper? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was just like, I like the characters, so, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, me too. I think, oh, it's turning into a bit of a thing, but um, they definitely edited out loads of Kylo Ray's scenes at the end. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't, I didn't notice it in the film, but I realized after. He doesn't talk for the last 30 minutes of that film. I haven't given him my second view yet, so. Yeah, no, neither have I. But <laughs> I've had it pointed out, and I'm like, oh yeah, he doesn't. Things to come, how do you think a second view of this would go for you? Just to reel it back in a It's touch. not like a one I could watch tomorrow. Yeah. But I could see myself in a year's time putting it back on. It's just. It's interesting in its ideas, and it's spectacular in its visuals for a film from 1936. Yeah. Like, it looks good. Because Metropolis is one I really can always put on. Metropolis, I can, but it's not one that I put on and watch all the way through. It's one that I skip to bits I like. I play it, but I put different music over it. That's fair. <laughs> it's a silent film, right? You know. <laughs> well, this one could almost be a silent film. Mm. Like, people are talking, but you... It's not about characters, and you get the gist from the visuals, right? Except for those fantastic speeches telling you horrible things. Yeah. Um, which were great with the sound. I, but even this... then, like, you'd get it from... Yeah, would gesticulating. Yeah, but I, I, that was an actor I appreciated. I guess that was the same guy in both periods, was it? I'm not sure. Yeah, see, I, I that's think right. It was. Yeah, like he, I liked. I, he was good. He he had like he was he had like chubby charisma. The boss or something. and the sculptor. Yeah. Yeah, he had chubby charisma. So. Like he was like going back to the Mad Max comparison. He was a really good Mad Max villain. Yeah. Like his furs. <laughs> he just wants his airplanes to run. Um, in the Dark Tower. There's a sequence set in like a ruined city. Are we talking book or movie? Book. I'm okay, just making sure. I haven't read I haven't or seen or the movie. I haven't um, done either. But I don't think they have, it got this far. Mm. This is in like book three or four. Okay. Um, there's like a ruined city after a post-apocalypse or whatever, and the warlord is just desperate to get his planes flying. Oh, that's the same thing. Okay. Yeah, it's, I, <laughs> I kind of feels like it might be based on that. And I just want to—I I keep talking about things ripping off Isaac Asimov's foundation, whereas he obviously got a few things from this, but I guess every science fiction writer gets a few things from H.G. Wells. Yeah, you can't really blame them for that. That's a battery pervert. <laughs> We've just discovered. Uh, His battery drops under 90, he has a panic attack. <laughs> we're at 81 now, we still need to do Sunday Kong. Maybe we and dropped one in the time since you told me? Yeah. Shit! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like, I, I know it's not really a problem, but there is just that, that little whimper somewhere deep in my soul. Uh, that's at 81 now, crap! Uh, I mentioned in our End Time podcast too, right? I, could, I definitely couldn't live in that world. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I... I would be fine, but I think I'd die because I never worry about these things. I couldn't tell you how much money is in my bank account right now. Yeah. I know it's in the positive numbers, so I'm happy. So <laughs> we, we know, we already know this film basically sort of, I mean, it never held up to begin with, yet it did because it's just a fascinating view of the future. Yeah. So I actually want to not, I want to form the question a little differently. I want to put this like only against things like Buck Rogers and Star Trek and you know, our, in Metropolis, our futures. How does it hold as our as our future prediction? We put Terminator in there, anything, you know? So here's the thing. As a prediction, I think it's one of the best. Because of that, I don't think it's so good. <laughs> I think a big point of sci-fi is to give you hope for the future, to be optimistic, right? Mm -hmm. This film really isn't. <laughs> Even once it gets to like the good point, because Star Trek as well has the, there's a war first, then we get Starfleet, yeah. right? 
Um, but this one, even once we get to the future, is still kind of dystopian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, I don't want to live underground. And this is very late in H.G. Wells' career and life, right? Yes. And I think he is someone who got more and more pessimistic as he worked. Because he was living through the world really turning to shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I mean... Even from War of the Worlds, which was like 40 years before this, that was him foreseeing the end of the British Empire. Because <laughs> the whole point of that is it's like, you know, what we've been doing to these major peoples, someone will eventually do to us. Yeah. Well, you always give me a stink eye when I say eugenics, but H.G. Uh, Wells was kind of tied in with some of those folks. And at the end of this movie, seems pretty white. <laughs> Granite's uh, being made in England. Yeah, I think you could give this right. even like for when worlds collide. Are we complained about it? But I also can kind of see it's a film made in the fifties. This is a film being made in the thirties. Yeah, I, like, I'm giving it a pass. I'm just saying that it, you know, if we extrapolate, it's it kind of sticks. But with yeah, um, if you read H.G. Wells, he's trying to be quite forward thinking and all of that stuff, but he's still writing as a rich white man in the like turn of the century right mm. but he off he, his his angle often accidentally comes out at like yes we're better but we should be nice to them <laughs> <laughs> which is still a lot better than most of his peers it's an improvement you but know. yeah he he was writing from a, the position he was in right yeah like um and often you read his stuff and he'll touch on this eugenic stuff but he is not kind to it. <laughs> and he is either satirizing it or out and out saying it's wrong. I feel like this movie's a little, like, like obviously not overtly kind to of the idea, but subtly sort of kind to of that idea. I don't feel like they were controlled. It's definitely like a New World Order thing. Right. But I don't think they were talking about, like, specific peoples being good or bad. Yeah, they no, there's certainly none of that. But, yeah. um, oh, and the other thing I, I thought... If, if you're thinking eugenics as, like, controlled society... Mm. But I always think of it in terms of, like, you know, genet controlled breeding and genetics, yeah. right? Is this movie also, thinking of the future, and, and pushing the date up a few numbers, but is this kind of 1984 just from someone's point of view who didn't get, you know, screwed as hard as uh, as Winston? <laughs> a little bit. Um, I mean, we don't know the political structure Yeah, here. we never see anyone being controlled, but it does seem like that guy in charge just does what he wants. Yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, I don't think we get enough of a look at the future. That's probably the film's biggest failing. And I think it is, like you say, probably a budgetary thing. <laughs> we don't really get a look at how any of the future stuff works. And and going to four different periods over an hour and a half. You know, you yeah. could, could probably... I mean, this is a film that could be longer. I like to say 90 minutes is the perfect, mm. uh, but th uh, perfect well, length of film. But this, one's, this one definitely wants to be epic, you know? I think part of why I thought wondered if it was a television thing was because this would have worked as like a six-part series spending a little time in each period. That's what I thought that new one was going to be, to be honest, when I looked up and it turns out it's, like I said, like a period film or something. But right. <laughs> Honestly, I, my thought is we, we got to do the 70s version sooner rather than later now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's not do it just yet. But yeah, not I'm just yet, but not, I, no, just seeing here but, talking, I'm like, now I kind of want to watch that one. I'm going to have the same uh, response when we do our next film, so <laughs> we've got to do the 70s one soon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and that just, uh, that's Son of Kong, because I don't know what order the stuff's coming out at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. So, um, if you, you know, there's whatever chronology you're hearing this week to week, and there's what we're actually recording. That's what we're actually recording. You know, I don't know if we'll do, I was thinking this might be part of like old fart December month, you know, old man December with lots of old I think it's probably nice mixing and, mix and matching. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It's also so. good to try and alternate between guest and not guest, I think. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, me and Matt here. are going to go look at each other's dicks, then we'll be coming back with Son of Kong. All right. <laughs> He's not joking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we, don't, we don't post those photos to, to Twitter, but where could they find us on Twitter? You can find the podcast on Twitter at MLSFSPod, or you can just find us on iTunes, YouTube, the internet generally, by searching for Matt and Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. I mean, just... Drop us a message, tell us you're enjoying it, just press that like button or something, I don't know. Give me some feedback so I feel good about wasting my life. <laughs> <laughs> and other than sci-fi films, you've wasted some of that life with Pokemon. Sorry, that sounded horrible. <laughs> uh, it's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, if you like your Pokemons, then you can find my other podcast, uh, Luke Loves Pokemon. That's on Twitter, at Luke Loves PKMN. It's also on you know your podcasting apps and your youtube i don't really bother to upload them to youtube very often i've been thinking of catching up with that now that i have internet but it's a lot of work so is don't hold your breath is music wasting my life um 
I think the fact that you make all this music and make zero effort to promote it, <laughs> apart from mentioning it at the end of these podcasts every week. To promote it. So, yeah, if you want to listen to Matt's music, you can find that at rovingstagemedia.bandcamp.com. You've heard a little bit of this, a little bit of it in this podcast, so you already know if it's your jam or not. I did not do Shape of Things to Come because I didn't want another copyright claim, even though I would have recorded it myself, but whatever. Yeah. Fuck the music industry and fuck YouTube. And to the listener... Uh, you can punch Mr. YouTube and Mr. Jeff Bezos in the face. <laughs> and also, you can climb inside my big metal dick and go to the moon. <laughs> Yeah.
up and on down, and passions ebb and flow.